0: Good to see you. Happy Sunday. Um, how many of you guys have seen the movie Sound of Freedom? Have any of you seen that? Yeah, uh, my wife and I went to go see it last night. Um, I I would absolutely recommend it. It's heavy. Let me just tell you, it's it's heavy, um, but it's such it's such a good good movie and such an important thing for the church to be uh, engaging in engaging in society's pain. Uh, it's a major pain in society, and even hearing the the story from the from the um, missionaries this morning. Uh, just engaging in, in child trafficking is so important. Um, but my wife and I, after we finished it, it we felt so heavy. We were going, what, are you, what do you do, you know, with, with such a problem that feels so insurmountable? And there's a, there are a ton of ways that you could get involved, ton of things that you could do. Um, but I said the thing that I know, I'm, I'm a pastor in the church and I should say this, but I, I truly believe this. I told my wife, I said, it really call, it's a call to prayer. Um, This is such a big issue. Um, It's such a big thing that we are called to pray. And at Living Streams, we believe that prayer matters, that it really does something. Uh, It's not just uh, your wish list to God. It's not just a one-sided conversation. Uh, It's hearing from the Lord. It's getting the Lord's heart and vision and praying for things, uh, and praying on behalf of things that the Lord cares about. And so Living Streams, we, we're a church that really, really cares about that. And in line with that, this Wednesday, uh, if you are an early riser, our, uh, our prayer team is putting together a prayer service that we're going to have going on uh, from now on for a while. Um, but Wednesday morning at 6.15, 6.15 a.m., some of you are like, I've been awake for three hours by that point. Uh, some of you are like, I haven't seen 6.15 in a very long time. Um, but we're we're really hoping that a lot of us would, would come here, that we would seek the Lord together, uh, not just as a service uh, to come and, and hear great preaching and all of that stuff that we do at Living Streams, but a service to come and uh, as a call to prayer. So if that's for you, make sure and show up Wednesday morning. Uh, now it's my pleasure to introduce our our speaker for today. Uh, her name is Kelsey, and she is uh, really she's been such an amazing strength for us, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. Um, but she works at GCU. Uh, she works at the uh, Spiritual Life Office at GCU. Uh, she also oversees the spiritual formation uh, program at uh, at GCU, and she's also on the pastoral preaching team. Uh, so if you're a GCU student or have been recently a GCU student, you've probably seen Kelsey. Um, but beyond that, she has been a real support to us at Living Streams. And uh, uh, probably about a year ago, she reached out to us and our team and she said, you know, I've, I've noticed you guys are, are preaching about a lot of things that are, are tough, and it seems like there's a lot of things going on with uh, transitions and everything else. And she said, can I come and pray for your staff at staff meeting? And uh, we said sure we don't really get that request very often and she came and she, she sat in our staff meeting and she prayed over us and it was just really it was just really awesome and uh, so she's been kind of joining with us in our teaching team and been pouring into us uh, so would you please warmly welcome kelsey doan uh, up on the platform
1: thanks ryan well good morning how are you guys good. I have joked all morning that I uh, work at GCU, and so normally I'm teaching at 8 o'clock at night, not this early in the morning. So good morning to all of you. Um, I am so excited to be here and such a gift to just get to spend time with you all that normally I'm here every Sunday just sitting in the back. So it's very different to be up here, um, but I love it. And uh, as Ryan said, I work at GCU, and I get the privilege to spend my days with college students who are the best. If you don't know a college student, you should. And you I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but you should know a college kid. And they're the best and go buy them a coffee and give them a hug and tell them they're doing a great job because they are in a very challenging life season and they're wonderful and it is such an honor to get to teach and equip them and, um, yeah, just to get to spend time with them and and help them know how to not just profess Christianity, but how to practice it. Um, And so we spend our time teaching students um, through workshops and through retreats, uh, just practical ways to follow the Lord. Uh, A lot of times uh, it seems we're told, hey, pray or read your Bible or be generous or give or be hospitable, but we don't actually know how to do that. Uh, And so that's what our spiritual formation program is all about which is helping students know how to do that and how to be people who um, are not just trying to be good Christians, but are training to be people who are formed in the image of God. Um, And it's actually possible through the work of the Spirit. And so um, obviously getting to work at GCU, I get asked a lot by my students, uh, what did you want to be when you grow up? And what did you study? And are you doing uh, something similar? And I always joke with them that when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a pilot or a meteorologist. And my dream was to be Stephanie Abrams. I don't know if anyone knows Stephanie Abrams. She's a hurricane chaser on the Weather Channel. And I thought she was so cool. And still to this day, I think she still works there. I have a dream of meeting her one day, telling her I didn't become what she does. But I just loved the intensity of the job, the structure, the the pressure. Um, I always thought that I would be in a high power career, like an attorney or work on the East coast. And I am doing nothing of the sorts, uh, and I'm in a chaotic, messy, beautiful, sacred job. And so I always encourage our students. God just, as I was telling a woman after last service, God is the best author and he knows what he's doing. And so even if you thought you would chase hurricanes for a living, which is a weird dream, but it was mine. Uh, God knows, uh, how to use you best. Um, I did get a small stint of that kind of dream of uh, a more you know, high power wearing suits everyday life. Uh, after I graduated college, I went to seminary and took a semester off and spent it back East in DC um, and had just the utmost privilege to spend uh, a semester at International Justice Mission, which is an anti-slavery organization. Um, and it's a cool little connection um, with Ruben and Michelle today. And so I got to spend a semester in DC and fell in love with the city. It's so beautiful. And fell in love with the culture and the people and the churches and the community that I had built. And the museums, too, obviously, and all the history. And I'm not a real artsy person. It's not like I collect art or, you know, go to museums often. But when you're in D.C., it's what you do. And a couple years ago, I was back on a trip to D.C. by myself doing some work with International Justice Mission. And I had an afternoon just to spend. And it was raining, and that kind of limits what you do in D.C., and so I decided to hop on the Metro and go to the National Portrait Gallery, which is one of my favorites. It's off kind of the main National Mall area. You walk in, there's a stunning atrium that just you could sit with a cup of coffee and a book for hours. And I'm, I'm kind of walking around. The museum's probably closing soon. And I'm up on the second floor. And at the time, uh, the second floor kind of area was dedicated to art that was depicting uh, the Civil War and art from the Civil War and depicting kind of what it would be like to be in... That time period, and as I'm kind of walking, just enjoying my time, I notice um, on my right. I remember so clearly there was this little room, um, and inside the room there was this statue, huge, and I think we have some pictures of it. Um, and it's bronze sculpture, and I kind of like peer in and lean in and, and wonder what's in there. And and like I said, I'm not someone who's normally super moved by art. I think it's beautiful and wonderful. I just don't know a lot about it and feel like I. Not the smartest person when it comes to art, uh, and I walk in and I'm just captivated. And it's this bronze sculpture of this soldier, and he's carrying this little boy who has a drum, and he's clearly injured or hurt. And and the title of the sculpture was "Carry Me and I'll Drum It Through." And I've learned later of kind of doing some research on the sculpture and looking at it that this was a story of drummer boys would be used often uh, during this time to call signals to say, hey, this is move forward, move back. This is what we're going to do. And this soldier apparently had come along, this drummer boy, and, and noticed he was hurt and injured and said, hey, what, what happened? And the story goes that the little boy said, I'm, I'm injured, I'm wounded, but if you carry me, I'll keep drumming. I'll keep going. And that's a sermon for another day, and I just, it, it moved me, and it, it made me think of lament and community and worship in the midst of suffering, and you should all go see the sculpture it's, if it's still there. It's wonderful. But I just got to thinking how it seems like the Bible is like an art museum where just like in an art museum, there's a, there's a floor that's dedicated to one whole theme. At this time, it was the Civil War, this whole hall. And every piece of art is focused on depicting something, of giving you a glimpse into, into something of this world, of pointing to this world. And they're all different. They're all a little different angle. They're all a little different focus, but they all have the same heart and the same goal. And that's the same with scripture right? That it's all focused on who our God is and what he's been up to and what he's going to do and what we, who we are and how we live on mission with God, this side of glory and next. But each book of the Bible is a little different. It gives us a little different glimpse. It's all by the same author, but it's a little different step into who our God is. And I imagine this, this artist, that, this beautiful sculpture that I saw, wanted me and others to study it and examine it and know the author's name and maybe know kind of the, the unique parts about it and understand it, and know the history of it. But I, I also wonder if the artists wanted people to just stand and linger and just stand in awe of the beauty and the pain. And, and on the title, on the, the sculpture, it says that the sculpture was to depict the feelings and the sounds of the Civil War. It was such a different approach. And same with us in Hosea, that we get a glimpse in, just a different glimpse of maybe the feelings of what God feels like when we sin and in our life and our brokenness. And so my hope and my prayer today is, yes, that we will study, and yes, that we will go to the experts, and yes, that we will memorize and soak in God's word. That is critical, especially in today's day and age. But also that we would just linger, that we would linger and that we'd be moved to a place of awe of the author and the art. And so if you will turn with me today, we're going to be in Hosea 11. It's going to be one of our anchor spots um, for us this morning as we continue on in our journey in Hosea. And so if we've learned the last couple weeks, um, Hosea was a prophet. Um, he was, he's now called a minor prophet, not because he's any less important, just because his book and some of the other minor prophets' books are smaller than the major prophets. And a prophet, if you're not familiar, if you just need a refresher, um, was not some weird like Harry Potter fortune teller kind of person. Uh, it was an ordinary person who was used by God to tell a message. And Hosea was unique in that his message was his life. And Hosea, similar to other prophets, were really sensitive to evil. And we're hopefully gonna get a glimpse of that today, um, of just that sensitivity to sin and evil. And so as we know from chapter one in Hosea that God was inviting Hosea to use his life. He said, Hosea, chapter one, two, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And she's gonna go choose other lovers. And I want that to be a model of what my people have done and how I feel about it. And as I was sitting with this this week and just praying for our time this morning, I just don't wanna miss the opportunity to hold space for those of us in this room that have pain around marriage or family. In a story like Hosea, where we're looking at brokenness really close up, you look at the stats in today's day and age and you just look at people's stories, in a room this size, people are gonna be touched by pain around marriage or family or kids. And so I just want you to know I've been praying for you this week, we've been praying for you this week And, and our hope and prayer is that as we sit in this story about a family that is just deep in pain, deep in pain, that you would also, if you are deep in pain in family and marriage, that you would feel held close by God. That as Isaiah says that God is a wonderful counselor and that you might in your own pain and in your own sorrow and trauma as we journey through, that you would feel really held close by the wonderful counselor. So as we continue on, um, Hosea 11, just to kind of get our bearings, like kind of a border on a puzzle. Um, If you're taking notes and it's helpful for you, this might be a good thing to write down. Um, Kind of the outline for Hosea that helps me when I'm going back through a book of the Bible. Chapters one through three, um, kind of the, the summary and the title of that is a broken marriage symbolizing God's covenant with Israel. Again, that covenant word is so critical. And then chapters four through 14 is Israel's unfaithfulness and God's compassion. And so obviously Hosea was a prophet. He came, God invited him to come give a message. He needed a message. But what what was the message and why was he needed? Why was he needed? And we see right back in chapter one that the people were unfaithful. That's the word, unfaithful. Covenant and unfaithful is the language that we see all through Hosea. And Derek Kidner, who uh, was an Old Testament scholar, he said that the people Hosea was prophesying to were reaching the terminal stage of the infection that it wasn't just that they had a bad day, that there was something dead inside of them, something that was so wrong and so unfaithful to God and so, so af- separate from God, that there needed to be a prophet to come and say, you have to, be, you have to return, you have to return, you have to be reconciled to God. And so Hosea 4 gives us a glimpse of kind of what was that? Because you may be asking as I did, well, what was going on here? What was some of the unfaithfulness? And Hosea 4, as we'll see on this slide, gives us uh, just kind of an insight to that. So it says that there was no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder. Stealing and adultery, they break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish because they have deserted the Lord deserted the Lord. Hosea 4.12, my people consult a wooden idol and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful, underline, highlight, circle, unfaithful to God. And then lastly, the glimpse we get is Hosea 6, which is just gut-wrenching. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. This is what God is saying his people's love is like. That it's, fickle and it's faint. And we don't have morning dew here because it's 9 million degrees where we live. And I don't know why you all or I am here in July. We've clearly not learned our lesson. And so as I was thinking, what, what is this like for us? It's not, it's not morning dew, but it's like a, a morning in June. Uh, when it's still 75 at 8 a.m., right, or maybe 7 a.m., you just open your doors, you take your dog for a walk, when you're getting in your car to go to work or take the kids to school or or go to class, whatever it may be, it's just kind of cool still, and it's wonderful, and you think for a minute in your delusion that maybe summer won't be so bad, right? maybe it's just me, I've lived here 30 years and I still haven't learned, and yet by 9 a.m., it's gone. It is hot and we're all angry and it's gone. And it's just this moment, this moment of, gosh, it was cool, it was so lovely, it was great, it's gone. And God's saying, that is what my people's love is like for me. It's there for a minute and then it's gone. And that is, that is hard to process when that feels real. And sometimes Hosea and books of the Bible can just be a window right, that we can look through and say, oh, what's, what's happening over there? That's a, that's a good insight. And sometimes they're a mirror and they look straight back at us and say gosh is my love for the lord like a morning in june that's cool for a minute and then it's gone. And so if you'll look in chapter 11 with me, I want to just start out by reading the first two verses. And we see what God says here, when Israel was a child I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed the bales and they burned incense to images. And so to Israel, they may have thought, ah, we're just cutting corners or we're just, yeah, I know you're saying there's you know, unfaithfulness and I know you're saying this and that. I know you're saying we're walking away, God, but is it that bad? Like maybe they thought it was just cutting corners or mixing false worship and still worshiping God, but also bringing in false gods. And, and maybe they thought it was just fine. But to Hosea, the prophet, and to God, it was a death blow to existence. It wasn't just a sin, it was unfaithfulness. It was idolatry. It was them choosing another God above their own God. And so you may have thought, as I have, gosh, how did things get so bad? Like, how did they get here? And maybe you've you've thought that as you have read that. And Abraham Heschel, uh, who's a Jewish theologian that a few of us have been reading his book um, for this series, his answer to this, how did it get so bad, is really good. He says, perhaps it was due to humanity's false sense of sovereignty, to their abuse of freedom, to their aggressive and sprawling pride and resenting God's involvement. I'm glad we've all evolved from that. (laughs) That doesn't apply to any of us. This quote is one of the most stunning quotes I've read in a long time, and it is hard to take in. That pride was aggressive and sprawling, and that the people of God didn't want God's involvement. I just wonder how much that can be said of us sometimes too, that a false sense of, sovereignty that thinking we are God and yet we're not and sin as we've mentioned in Hosea is using the word unfaithfulness and that is so beautiful it's so powerful the fact that our God speaks about our sin in the context of a covenant and it's talked about often and intensely if you've read through Hosea if you've been journeying with us if you're new to the sermon series uh, God is serious and Hosea is serious about unfaithfulness and Hosea, through the work of God in him, had a deep sensitivity to sin and evil. He had a keen awareness and a deep, a deep sensitivity to what was going on in this moment. And so this week, as I was preparing for this, uh, I, I just was curious uh, what people around me thought about their own sin. As, as we see how Hosea felt about sin, I just wondered how we felt about sin. And so I texted some friends uh, with no context, uh, and I asked them two questions. One, uh, how do you feel when you sin? And two, how do you think God feels about you when you sin? And this is what happens when you have a friend who teaches the Bible for a living. You get weird questions in your inbox uh, late on Thursday night. And their responses were beautiful and stunning and really honest. And I was so grateful for their input. And kind of the theme of the responses that I got of how we feel about our sin were three things. One is that we like to avoid or be in denial of our sin. That if I just turn on Netflix, maybe I won't feel so bad about it. Or if I just drive past that car that I rudely use a certain finger toward, maybe I won't feel so bad. (laughs) Or two, that I just need to give God space. Like if we hurt someone in our life, that maybe I just need to give them space because they probably don't want to be around me right now and I'll let them cool down. So maybe I need to do the same for God. Or three, that we feel like we owe God something or we owe God some good. Like we're in a a scale and we've really dipped the scales to our sin side. So maybe let's do something good uh, to to even out the scales, which is comical when you think about it because God owns storehouses of snow, but we can certainly tip the scales in our favor. It's wild what we think. And thinking that, that is how we often respond to sin. And maybe you have felt some of those as well, maybe a combination, maybe um, one is more prevalent in your life. And if that's how we feel about sin, I wonder how God feels about us when we sin. I wonder, it's a big question, right? Because there's two of us, it's God and you, it's God and me in the relationship. And so it doesn't just matter how I feel, it also really matters how God feels. But do we know? Do we know how God feels about us when we sin? And we actually get a glimpse into that in Hosea, especially in chapter 11. And we see here that God doesn't just accuse of sin, but he actually aches over it he's actually broken and grieved over the unfaithfulness of his people. he actually is so moved to a place where his heart is broken. His heart is broken over his people that they would choose anything else that they were actually designed for, which is him and his presence. And so let's look again at uh, Hosea 11. And I just want you, uh, as I am reading through this, just to see if anything stands out to you, anything that stands out to you about just the ache of God, about how he feels to his people. So let's look at Hosea 11, one through eight. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed the bales and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim or Israel to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love to them. I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? This is some prophecy that Pastor David talked about last week of just this impending judgment that was coming of Assyria if they did not repent and return Verse six, a sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. You can just hear the ache there. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up Ephraim? How can I hand you over Israel? You can hear in these words just the ache of God. The intensity of the sin, yes, but the ache of God here, the intense ache. In high school, I grew up here in the valley, grew up going to church, and um, I had the real privilege of growing up at a church um, that had every summer about five or six international mission trips that high school students and middle school students could apply to go on. And I don't know if we always had the best, holiest reasons (laughs) for why we wanted to go, maybe just spend two weeks in a cool country with our friends, but the Holy Spirit was kind and always moved in our hearts. And I got to see places of the world that I probably never would have and got to see churches and people and experience God. And it, it broadened my narrative of who God is. And every summer, uh, there would be a big group of us, you know, on a trip, uh, 20, 30 high school students, God bless the leaders. And every year, no matter how many times we would send reminders or we would get parents to remind us there would always be some Yahoo who would show up at the airport at 4 a.m. and forget their passport every time. I don't know how it happened. And I'm a little type A and a little perfectionist if I'm not super healthy. And so I always had everything I needed uh, to the T. And I would stand behind these people in line at TSA and think, how, you think you're going to get through here? That's crazy. And I'd hear them process, well, I forgot my driver's license, but if I have my school ID and my mom's credit card, maybe I can get through. And I always would be like, I, I can't spend two weeks with you in Tanzania. I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I am I actually am just not going to go. Maybe I forgot my passport. And lo and behold, they would go up to uh, a maybe not so nice TSA agent. And if any of you are TSA agents, I'm sure you're, you are lovely. Um, I have not met a lovely one, maybe because they're dealing with high school kids who forget their passports and try to fly. And they would try to, like, make a deal, right, with the TSA agent. Like, listen, I'm a great kid. I love Jesus, which... Great. Okay. And I don't have my passport. And I know that's really important. And like, I hear you and I see you and I respect the law. But what about like this picture of like my home address? Great. Are we good? Can I go now? Like it's wild to me of just this back and forth, trying to make it happen, trying to get through, trying to fly. And yet I just wonder how much of us, when we sin, view God like an angry TSA agent that we're trying to make a deal with him, trying to make it better, trying to say, hey, I know I did that thing and I'm so sorry and I hope you're not mad. Can I still get the blessing or can I still be near you or can I still do this? Did you know I also did this? Did you look over here? Look at this shiny thing. I did this, it's way better. Don't look over here. And yet, God is not a TSA agent. Or do we view him like Santa, right? Where Santa, you know, for the kids in the room, great, we'll answer that question later. Santa who checks his list twice and makes sure we're not naughty or nice. I just wonder how you feel about God when you sin, but I wonder even more how he feels about you when you sin. But God is not holding up a list. He's actually broken over it and he aches over it. And that he says that when you return, he actually just wants us. And God is not some angry TSA agent or or Santa checking his list. He's actually like a parent who lost their kid at Disneyland and will do anything to get their kid back. That is, yes, probably a little bit frustrated or disappointed that the kid decided that they thought they could ride Dumbo at four years old on their own and just went on it. But more than anything, broken and grieved that their kid is not home. That their kid is not in the actual safest place that they were designed to be, which is right next to their parent. That is our God. When we choose other lovers, when we are unfaithful, he views it like he is a partner with us. And he says, I just want you home. I just ache, I am broken over your sin and I just want you to come home. Hosea six six says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so when we come home, he doesn't want us to point over here to all the good things he's, he, we've done to make it better. He doesn't want us to avoid him or our sin. He doesn't want space, he just wants us home. He just wants us home, and he wants us. He wants us home. This has been a real challenge for me, growing in this awareness, being someone who leans toward the Enneagram One, perfectionist tendencies. It is, it's hard for me to process how God feels about me when I sin. It's very easy for me to go into a, a checks and balance mindset, and maybe that's for you too. And so because I have a real propensity to believe lies about myself and about God when I sin, I have a practice that I try to remember to do, and I have a note saved on my phone. And when I feel like I've blown it, and I feel like it's three strikes you're out, and this is the time that God's really gonna be done. I pull out this note and this is what it says. Micah seven, eighteen through twenty. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That is our God. There is a loud world out there that's trying to convince you and me who our God is, especially in the middle of sin. Trying to convince us and teach us how God feels about us when we are unfaithful. And so we need a counterformation in our lives. We need something, we need a practice to push against those lies, to form in us a muscle that we believe truth and we lean on truth and not lies in that moment, especially when we are full of shame or when we are vulnerable in the middle of our sin and unfaithfulness. We need to remember that the ache of our God is real that he was so broken over his people and our people's unfaithfulness that it actually led his son to be broken on a cross for us. And so we know that actually our covenant relationship with God is not based on our perfection and our faithfulness. It's his, 2 Timothy two thirteen, speaking of Jesus says, if we are faithless, which we are way more than we would like to admit, if we are faithless, he actually remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. We have a God who is deeply aware of our unfaithfulness. I don't think it surprises him. (laughs) And when we are unfaithful, he just wants us home. He wants us to return home because he aches. He aches like a parent, like a partner. And yet he is the perfect parent and the perfect partner. He is the perfect covenant keeper. And it's hard to remember that in times of sin. It really is. No matter our predispositions, to whatever it may be. And so we need a practice that helps us with that. And so about a year ago, I was listening to a podcast and I heard the person uh, talk about how when they apologized, they started doing before they apologized that they would say thank you. So if the person was late to a meeting, they would first say, hey, thank you for your patience. I'm sorry I was late. Or hey, thank you for not uh, clapping back at me. I'm sorry for that harsh word hey, thank you for for paying for dinner. You know, I'm sorry that I didn't pay again or whatever it may be. And I just wonder, I'm just gonna leave this wondering with us. I wonder what it would do for the formation of our souls in times of sin if if we leaned into gratitude before confession. If we spoke something true about God and thanked him for that and then stated our confession. Such as God, thank you that you are never unavailable. I'm sorry that I... I just didn't notice you this week. God, thank you that you are never harsh with me. I'm sorry that I was harsh with this person or myself. God, thank you that you are never fickle, that you are stable and that you keep your word. I'm sorry that I lied about this thing. I just, I wonder, I wonder what it would do for the formation of our souls if we this week, when we noticed we we were unfaithful, the times that we notice that we choose other loves, that we mix other loves with God, that we walk away as it talks about in Hosea 11. If upon our return, if upon our return to a God who says, I will hurl all of your iniquities into the depths of the sea, I will wash you wider than snow. If we just pause for worship in that moment, if we reminded our souls who God is in that moment and then stated our confession, what that could do for us. And so that's my invitation for us this week is that we would do that. Maybe practice it with someone else too. If you're late to a meeting or if you, whatever it may be, practice it with others, practice it with God and let's just see what happens. It's like a little experiment that we could do as a little community this week. I just wonder what might happen. And so we're gonna take some time now as we have the last couple weeks to just give space for the spirit of God to move. He knows each of our hearts. He knows the places we've been unfaithful. No matter if we think we've been unfaithful or little or a lot, foot of the cross is level ground and we're all welcome back home. So we're going to give some space now just for you and the Lord to work in the quietness of your heart and, and here's the invitation. We're just going to do three things. First is just tell God what you're grateful for. What are you thankful for because of what you're confessing? Is it a harsh word? Is it I don't know what it is for you, whatever it may be. What do you want to thank God for? Is it a lack of attention to God? Is it, I don't know, that's between you and the spirit, but thank him for something and then state your confession of where you need to return. And then when you're ready, you can partake in communion on your own. You should have gotten a little cup when you walk in. Um, If you don't have one, there'll be some people walking through the aisles that can hand you one. There's a tiny little cellophane top that gets the little cracker out on top and then the juice on the bottom. And communion, the Greek word for it is eucharisteo, which means Thanksgiving. And so it's really fitting that we, we just take a moment to thank God. Thank God for his covenant. Thank God that he is the faithful partner, that he is our king and our friend, and that he actually loves us so much that he aches when we sin, and that we can return home knowing he's not some angry person, that he, is, he just loves us and he wants us home. So we're going to do that now um, is just spend some time in gratitude and confession. And then when you're ready to take communion on your own. And lastly, I just, I just invite us to spend this time on our knees. I think there's something um, as pastor David has modeled for us really well. When we get our body involved with the posture of our heart, or when we get our body involved with the posture of heart, we want to have, it does some really wonderful things. And so if you're able to spend this time on your knees, either up at the front or in the aisle or in your own row just to commune with the spirit of God as we pause and we remember our God who is good and kind and that we tell him the goodness about him, we state our confession and then we partake in communion. So let's do that together.